Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us is, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. <clears throat> we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is con contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Thank you, John. A lot of uh, exhortation in that passage, a great passage to spend time meditating on. And uh, these first 11 chapters of Romans, we've negotiated some of the most difficult terrain of the Bible, stretching back to the dawn of time and forward into eternity. And, and uh, you know, we started with being condemned in the valley of sin, if you remember back then, and deserving of judgment. And, and then God stepped in and, and the, then the crux of salvation, which was Christ crucified for our sins so that we can be justified by faith. 
not by works, but by this gift of righteousness. Then we looked at the footsteps of Abraham that led us to the place of peace, free access to God and His love poured into our hearts by the Spirit. Friends, have you experienced that? Has that been a living reality that you know that you know? Not a head knowledge as much as a heart experience that your love's been poured in, that you've experienced the love of God in a very personal way. Because God wants to. He says His love is poured out into our hearts and not into our heads as much as our hearts. And then we followed the ridge of freedom up to the summit of hope. And uh, we're not condemned in sin. And having died with Christ, we live a new life. We're free in that reality. And the same Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And He adopts us in a family, His family. And through Him we cry, Abba, Father, Spirit of adoption. We co-heirs with Christ and His glorious inheritance awaits us. Resurrection bodies in a perfectly restored creation. Now this, friends, is a good news gospel for the world, all nations. And we see in the cloud of mystery, it began with Israel, and one day they'll return to their Messiah. In the meantime, we, friends, are the heralds of hope. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the end of chapter 8, this kind of mountaintop moment. And uh, then Paul's headline over Romans 9, chapters 9 to 11, and that our Paul took us through last week is quite simple. Just because Israel seems to have rejected God, do not think that God has rejected Israel. And the cloud of mystery contains two truths and tensions, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And both, we need both. We must trust God with mysteries beyond our understanding and Isaiah talks about my thoughts, and maybe this was the end of, of uh, that, that chapter 11 where I think Paul might have even penned this thinking of, of Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, if you can put that uh, slide up. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Big God, big God. He's large, He's in charge, and He's coming back. Maybe it may feel humbling, and it should feel humbling, but there's something deeply reassuring and overwhelming about the majesty of God. Because God is so great, He doesn't answer to you or me and report to us. God, why did you do it that way? No, God is sovereign. And deep in our souls, we know that He's able to take care of us that He rules and He reigns. And He's also our Abba Father, our Papa, our Daddy. And these clouds, they now part and we're able to look through and we consider the part that we must play. So these 11 chapters now open the cloud to, okay, your response and my response. And so it's like putting on glasses and I've got to that stage where I have reading glasses. I don't have to wear them all the time. My wife has buff, is very focused. And uh, so anyway, so they're very helpful. But you see, Romans is not just a letter to look at, but a pair of spectacles to look through. It helps us to make sense of life. It alters our outlook. It gives us clearer perspective on life. And so my prayer, along with the author of Romans, Andrew Ollerton, he wrote this book, A Letter That Makes Sense of Life. It's, it's that when we get to the other side of Romans, our confidence in the gospel will have been increased We'll have a gospel confidence and our ability 
to live it out will also be improved and enhanced and, and strengthened. So we will be uh, effective. But you see, a descent is never an anticlimax. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? When you're climbing a mountain and you start to go down, oh, no, it's actually in the kingdom of God, the way up proves, the way, sorry, the way down proves the way up. We become less that he can become greater. We decrease so that he can increase. Even John the Baptist recognized that. In the words of the chorus, and I was going to sing it, but my wife would probably say, don't sing it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up higher and higher and he will lift you up. You see, when we get on our knees and we serve with humility, friends, we discover true greatness. Jesus was a servant king. He's our role model. He's the author and perfecter of your and my faith. And so Paul, he begins to unpack Romans 12, what it looks like to live a life of freedom. And, and those two verses that uh, we've probably spent a little more time on. Therefore, I urge you, or I appeal to you, or I plead with you, is the, some of the translations, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That's the gospel, friends. That's the good news. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your and my part, our response. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. And so I'm going to just uh, say that verse 1 is telling us, in view of God's mercy, give your body to God. And in verse 2, in view of God's mercy, give your mind to God. And that should, slide should come up now. So there's giving our bodies and there's also giving our minds to God, giving both. Friends, there's something forbidden, something encouraged, something promised that we will unpack. And so there's this shift at this, I want to say, watershed moment, this chapter 12. It's a shift in the letter of Romans. We've looked at the, the richness. We've looked at the beauty. We've looked at the depth of God's grace towards us as sinners. In view of God's mercy, His great mercy, we call to respond, to take action, to let our lives be transformed. You see, knowing must lead to practice. Being made righteous must lead to walking righteously. And you know, when you see this picture of this crowd cheering, crowds, they always uh, erupt after their team wins. And I think that's an iconic picture. Why? Did, did Jurgen Klopp score the goals? No. It's a response to viewing a victory. And, and living righteously is a response to a victory won for us. I mean, there was, I think... Was it half a million Liverpudians out on the streets? I was very, you know, we got stuck in the traffic for hours. <laughs> it was quite a day, if you remember back then. You know, European champions, this champion, that champion. Whether you Evertonian supporters, and I don't want to have a go at anyone here, but, but it was a high moment. But because of a victory won, it became almost the city's victory. And you see, the victory he's won is the victory for you too. Your victory. His victory becomes yours. And John Calvin famously wrote, and I think this quote should also come up, it is therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. It's not alone. It's got to do something. It's got to change us in some way. If there's no change, is there any Jesus? You know, no change, no Jesus. <laughs> but if you know Jesus, you'll know change. 
<laughs> you should see the difference. John Stott also wrote, God's grace, far from encouraging or condoning sin, is the spring and foundation of righteous conduct. Another great preacher. So the, this chapter heading could say, living sacrifice. It could also say, how then should we live? And so the tone for the rest of these chapters is how we live righteously in the view of the mercies of God. You see, whenever we, we attempt to live holy and righteous lives in view of ourselves, we're left either in pride or in despair. I think Tony picked up on that this morning. We feel condemned, self-condemned, because we think everybody else seems to be so spiritual in this place. And I'm like, Woof. And then, you know, you feel like I'm a worm. Like, what am I doing here? Or you feel, oh, like, you know, I'm lifting my hands. Why aren't they lifting their hands? And are they even saved? You know, you know what I'm saying? There's either pride or there's despair. And it's neither. Don't look at yourself in view of God. You've got to look at God. You can see, if we look at others, we tend to hypocrisy or cold religion. The curse of comparison. Can you identify? I mean, I do. <laughs> we, we look at others and we fall short or we feel that we somehow peg above. But it's neither. Righteous living and holy living is always in view of God's done, what He's done for His mercy towards you and I. When we fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, it saves us from legalism. It saves us from hypocrisy. It saves us from despair. It saves us from condemnation. It's, friends, if you're living in any of those addresses, please fix your eyes on Jesus because He will give you such release from that. It's just so beautiful. When you look into His eyes, the things of the world will go strangely dim, including the people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the voices. And you know whether they're the enemy's voices or other voices, they'll all go dim because in the view, you know, in light of His glory and grace. So I, I don't know, that just was for free. It came somewhere. <laughs> so how do we begin living in view of God's mercy? And Paul notes two things that need to happen in response to his mercies. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. And present your mind to be renewed so you do not conform. So this, this living out our freedom in practical ways. He's saying, don't conform to the values of the culture around us. You see, the Roman church, they faced these pressures from their culture, as you and I do today. Friends, as Christians, we're called to test and approve what God's will is rather than our own will or the culture's ever-changing standards. Friends, in the UK, we're immersed in an influential, predominantly post-Christian, secular culture. There are UK values that are not God values. For example, Christian concern are representing Joshua Sutcliffe, a Christian math teacher, found guilty of misgendering a female student who identified as a boy. Subsequently banned, and there should be a picture of both of these gentlemen up. Subsequently banned indefinitely by the Secretary of State for Education. And then there's Berndall Randall, who lost his job as a school chaplain because he gently expressed Christian beliefs on marriage in a chaplain sermon. He was doing his job. Thankfully, four years later, he's been vindicated through the courts and Christian concerners. You see, the disclosure and barring service have confirmed that they will not take action against Bernard. But can you imagine his reputation, his income, his livelihood? He's had to pay a price. And the, and the charity commission announced the Educate and Celebrate, whose gender, extreme gender identity teaching encouraged staff to shout, smash heteronormativity at Trent College, which led to his sacking, Dr. Randall's sacking, is now defunct. God will be vindicated. It may take four years, friends, but God will 
come through. We've just got to take the stand. We've got to be in, we're in a spiritual battle and it's, we've got to take a stand. Stand up and be counted. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. We've got to be those who know what we stand for and who we stand for. And it's like Luther, you know, I'm, I'm, he's saying, if you show me from the Word of God where I'm wrong, I will recant. But here I stand, I can do no other. In other words, I, you take my head right now, take my life, but I cannot depart from the truth of God's Word. It's a hard truth. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it needs to be. And the first hard truth we're going to look at is a changed mind revo- results in a changed life, transformed by the renewing of, of your mind. And Paul's saying, be countercultural with a renewed mind. Don't be the proverbial frog. Do you know the story of the frog in the saucepan? As it slowly heats it up, unaware of being mainstreamed into your mind. You know, the mainstream media into your mind. Friends, you watch BBC long enough, you will be anti-Semitic. I'm sorry, they might say they're not anti-Semitic, but there are certain biases against Israel that will not show people in solidarity as much as they show people opposed to what's going on. And there's a bias. And I'm just saying, be aware of that bias. I'm not having a go just because Sky News and all of the mainstream media have a bias. There's not a Christian world we're living in with Christian news. I hope you realize that. And so the, the, the message does a beautiful paraphrase. You know, that anyway, the frog in the hot water story is that it, because it's um, cold-blooded and when the temperature of the water changes, it changes with it. Eventually it gets cooked. That's the sad outcome of that proverbial frog story. So what the message says is don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. And J.B. Phillips translates, the, or the translation highlights the risk this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's squeezing you every moment of every day with whatever you're hearing and seeing. We're called to be agents of social and spiritual transformation by holding on to the radical truths of Scripture. And I love C.H. Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. Oh, this nation raised up some powerful preachers, Wesley Spurgeon and many others. But man, he said, we shall not adjust our Bible to the age. But before we've done with it, by God's grace, we will have adjusted the age to the Bible. I can imagine him booming to 10,000 people when he preached because that's how many came to listen to him. That's the biggest place they could find was 10,000, I think, who came to listen. And that seems, it's, it's more than just seeing through new eyes. We've got to see through new eyes and a new light. And, you know, I think spec savers, they're always saying, oh, get a pair of specs and you'll see and you won't make big mistakes <laughs> or get yourself into trouble. You know, all the spec savers adverts. But, but it's more than that. You know, as much as a pair of specs can transform your life, the king, these are kingdom of God savers. We've got to see through the words of, of truth of the Bible. It's spiritual eyes to, with the mind of Christ. That's what it is. And so Paul's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when he says that, he's, he's not only alluding to the numerous pagan temples in ancient Rome. You know, people would bring animals and offerings to their God, small g, um, but also to the Jewish practice of bringing burnt offerings. And, and you know, in Levit- Leviticus chapter 6, according to that passage, the whole animal was devoted as an act of worship to the Lord. And it was an animal without beef defect or blemish. And it was a very costly exercise, the whole animal, costly sacrifice. The burnt offering was always completely consumed and it stood for entire devotion to God. 
Friends, that's different to a guilt or sin offering where a portion of meat was held back. You see, Christ's sacrifices atoned for our guilt and our sin. But our reasonable act of worship and response is to devote our whole lives into God, to God. Our worship is no longer bringing a sacrifice, but being the sacrifice. That's powerful. I hope you get that this morning. We are living sacrifices, fully surrendered on the altar of God. And you see, worship's way more than songs and prayers, as much as that was powerful this morning. But it's a lifestyle of worship. It's about what I say with my tongue. It's about what I watch with my eyes. It's what I think in my mind. It's where I go with my feet. It's how I express my sexuality. And that also includes keeping sexual intimacy for marriage. And it also includes blocking porn and, and not going there in terms of the, the things that fuel lust. And friends, that I've found in this nation, I need to be real with you, I've found it epidemic. Epidemic. And, and, and it's not to condemn. I'm, I'm saying to you that you need to be aware. If you have that struggle, we've done Valiant Man, of course, a number of times in this church, and I trust we can do it again because it's so critical, friends. So many people struggle with this thing, and it's not just men. It's women too. And so don't be, you're not alone. There are people in this church that have been through that course and will gladly say, look, come, it's great. Let's do it together. And it's also, you know, as I alluded to and other times gone by, if we entertain stuff, it will enter us, but we've got to kill stuff before it kills us. You know what I'm saying? We've got to deal with stuff before it, deals, it has its way with us. <laughs> we've got to draw a line and got to step and say, turn, no more. And, uh, and so the lifestyle of worship will also include our money spend, you know, where we, we <laughs> express our, our wealth and, and how we steward our time and our possessions. It's, it's every aspect. And, and so the message translation also going on, here's what I want you to do. Very practical. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and play it, place it before God as an offering. <laughs> That's pretty practical. It's like 24-7. Being a living sacrifice, continuous act of surrender of our whole souls to God. And, and that the problem is, is if you're on an altar and you're still living, you want to wriggle off. Who wants to be on a, a place where you're actually dying? You know what I'm saying? Dying to self. You just want to get off that place because it's uncomfortable. But, but we, we've got to resist wriggling off the altar. And so Paul in, in 8.13, he says, Put to death the misdeeds of the body. He says, the Holy Spirit will help you to do it. He urges us to, to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. And that's going to mean resuming, uh, <laughs> resuming. It's going to mean refusing to indulge in, in the culture of online excess. Do you know what I mean by online excess? Online, whatever, shopping, watching, whatever, you know, whether it's food, drink, entertainment. Our bodies belong to God, not media platforms or food and coffee culture. And I love coffee. And I love to go to Costa. But I can't be a Costa coffee culture man. I've got to be a kingdom of God culture man. <laughs> I can't be a, a Netflix, uh, you know, whatever. Or a, I don't know, what Prime or whatever. I can't be that. It can't define me. When I talk to people, oh, what series are you watching? I should be talking to people. Now, what's God saying? You know, what's God doing? 
And, and, uh, and there's some wonderful things that God's doing. Let's celebrate those. So Paul challenges us not to be governed by nature or instincts or desires or passions within us, nor to surrender to the, the culture, the narratives, vulture, <laughs> vultures, values and pressures around us. He's saying don't succumb to those. As servants of Christ, we're called to live for God's glory. And so instead of being conformed, we're called to be transformed. And uh, I, this is what I forgot to do. Is actually, I've got some beautiful pictures of butterflies with transparent wings. They are amazing pictures of butterflies. It's just like, anyway, th that word in Greek, metamorpho, it gives the word metamorphosis. And, and it, think of a caterpillar spinning a cocoon around itself, later emerging as a liberated, beautiful butterfly. I've seen silkworms, do, but they, they come out as moths. They don't come out as beautiful butterflies, you know, silkworms. <laughs> they do a wonderful silk job, but, but there are some beautiful butterflies. And God has high hopes. When you see a butterfly like that, you think God's got that picture for me to be transformed into that beautiful butterfly. And in the kitchen yesterday, who would have think, think in Gateway's kitchen? I think it was a sign and a wonder. There was a butterfly yesterday that had its wings closed. And I was like, why did that butterfly get you? And next minute it opened its wings and I just saw the beauty. Friends, let, let our lives be that offering, that beauty of the Lord. And Paul's instruction in Romans 12 returns us to the start of the letter in chapter 1, if you remember that far back, there was a slippery slope of sin and, and there was misdirected worship towards created things. And then the, the consequence of that was a, a distorted and depraved mind. And it's when we conform to the patterns of the world rather than the pattern of God. And the antidote to Romans 1 is now in response to God's mercy, we direct our worship to God. And then we transformed into his likeness with renewed minds, able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. A renewed worshipful mind is the opposite of a depraved mind. And then N.T. Wright said, true worship is offering one's whole self to God and it leads to genuinely human behavior. It leads to genuine, you want to see the, the, the genuine item, the real deal, it, it's that when you see somebody who's been in the presence of God, then you know. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a reflection of God. And uh, so the application this morning is, is that our mind is the key to leading us into God's will for our lives. But our minds also, if unchecked, will slowly mold us into the pattern of culture of the day. But when we fix it on the, the mercies of God, it's, it's been washed by the truth of what God's done for us and we're transformed. And uh, I'm finishing with a quote this morning from Michael Eaton. He's a great theologian. Um, I've sat under some of his teaching. He's gone to glory now. But he, he, he puts it so well about the promise. I couldn't put it better than this. In this verse, he says, When we submit our body and mind to God, he says the following, By submitting to God in body and mind, by a willingness to change our attitude and convictions, we get to know the will of God. We discover what pathways of love the law of Christ we are required to walk in. And as we seek the mind of Christ, we make three discoveries about the will of God. The will of God is good. He's a habit of spreading around the atmosphere of love, guiding us into ways of discipline, compassion, mercy, generosity. And we also discover that the will of God is acceptable. Once we had the feeling that God was somehow against us and that His will for our lives would not be acceptable to us, but we find the will of God is pleasing after all. 
Then we find the will of God is perfect. Perfect in itself, perfect for God, perfect for us, perfect in every way. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. And so the rest of the passage, friends, is about loving God, serving others and overcoming evil with good. And the second and last truths uh, I'm going to cover very quickly. Servants in God's family, each member, that's you and I, belong to each other. I'm not my own. My, my body's not my own. I belong to, it belongs to my wife, actually, but, <laughs> but it also belongs to you. You know what I'm saying? Though we are many, we are one body in Christ. And we live out our, our lives in, in, in community and, and rather than going our own way. That's why it's so important to, to be together. And, uh, and each of you have different gifts. Express those gifts so that there's strength in the body. Because there's diversity here. You would agree? I think Tony even said that earlier on. There's quite a bit of diversity. Whether it's rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, that was the Roman church. But to serve one another, live in harmony with one another. And, uh, and then the last truth is this hard one, but servants towards our enemies to overcome, not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the most radical call to action in this chapter. He's calling the church not only to love their brothers and sisters, but even their enemies. It's radical love and radical service and sacrifice, and it's, it's radical hospitality. The next slide. And, and it's radical in, in forgiveness, and it's radical in so many ways. To answer that question, how then should we live? All along the Christian course, there must be altars to God on which you sacrifice yourself or you'll never advance a step. It's not a once-off. I wish it was. I wish, friends, you could just say, oh, look, back in the day, I was crucified with Christ. I now no longer live. I'm a, you know. No, it's dying daily. It's taking up our cross daily. It's living sacrifices. It's a reasonable act of worship. And... Uh, we all worship something. What have you been sacrificing to? And what does that God in small g offer? Does it bring you joy, everlasting joy, or momentary things? But there's only one God who laid down his life for you. And if Christ be God and he died for me, what sacrifice could be too great for me to give for him? That's the question as we go into a worship moment.